doing it around the life of a guy named Jacob. And last Sunday we had a message called Just Call Me Jacob, uh, which was a message about Jacob, first of all, stealing the blessing from his brother and pretending he's Esau. And he says to his daddy, I'm Esau. And his dad gives him the blessing because he's blind and can't tell Esau from Jacob. And he fools his dad. And his dad gives him the blessing. But Esau's ready to kill him, as you can imagine. These guys are twins. So Esau chases him uh, uh, out of town. And he has to spend 21 years alienated from his family. And then uh, he, he finds out that... How many know that sometimes you can get what you wanted and it really isn't what you needed, Right? So he gets the blessing, but he doesn't ever get to see mom and dad. Never gets to be around brother, you know. Uh, my brother and I, we almost killed each other a few times, but we also love each other to death, you know what I mean? And so you, we never got to experience the good parts about being at home. And uh, so he wrestles with God before he goes back, and he makes a determination, I'm going to go home, I don't care if my brother kills me, I'm going home. And he wrestles with God, and this time when he wrestles with God... Uh, this this angelic form of God that he wrestles with uh, says to him in the morning, what's your name? And in this time, instead of saying that he's Jake, uh, Esau, he says, I'm Jacob. And the Bible says that at that moment that God blessed him there and changed his name to Israel. And uh, as a result of it, his destiny has changed forever when he becomes who he really is. Jacob means cheat, means heel grabber. He was grabbing at his brother's heel even when they were in the womb. He'd been a cheater all his life. And when he finally said, you know what? I'm a cheater. I am who I am. That's when God can deal with him. How many know that we wear masks a lot of the time, but God just wants us to be who we are? Alright? Just, just turn to your neighbor and say, like it or leave it, this is who I am. Alright? That, 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 you know, you got me. It's, it's, sorry you're stuck with Phil this morning. Tried to get Joel Osteen, but he was occupied. All right, so you're just going to have to deal with Phil this morning. Am who I am. Um, this week, we're going to deal with uh, really another incredible story from the life of Jacob, and we're also dealing with a cast of characters around him and his brother Esau this morning. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 25. I could have called this uh, message a lot of things. Let me read the scripture, then I'll give you the title. I think the title's up there anyway. Go ahead and throw the scripture up on the screen. Genesis chapter 25, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 27. Uh, And it says this, The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter. We talked last week, he's a Duck Dynasty kind of guy. He's hairy. He's Bass Pro. He's a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents, stayed home and watched reruns of soap operas with his mom, worked in the kitchen. Isaac had a taste for wild game, and he loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. He's a mama's boy. Esau is daddy's boy. Once while Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he's called Edom, which is redness. He likes, in fact, he was born red. Something about him and red. He likes the red stew. He's red. Um, And so that's why they call him Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. This is a ridiculous story. 
your birthright is twice as much property as the other kids get. And there's only two kids to split it between. So he's saying, give me twice as much property as you. Right. And, 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 and this is the amazing part of the story. Look! He, he, gets all, he gets all drama queen. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. This is a big deal in the Bible, swear to me. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. This is ridiculous. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then he got up and left. And this last line haunts me. So Esau despised his birthright. So Esau despised his birthright. You know, I thought of a lot of things that I could call this message like, like worst deals in history. I know if Donald Trump were here, he would say, the, the second best book in the world is The Art of the Deal, and I wrote it, right? Uh, he, that's what he would tell us this morning. And uh, he would tell us how to make deals. But this goes down with the worst deals ever in the history of deal making. Uh, one preacher put it this way. It would be like us giving you a life church pen for your Mercedes Benz. It, it's, it's ridiculous, right? Who would give up their birthright? Who would give up their property rights for a bowl of soup? So I could have called it that. I could have called it indecent proposal. You know, he makes an indecent proposal there, doesn't he? How about, how about your birthright for my, for, my, for my stew? But instead, I've decided to call it never go shopping for groceries when you're hungry. How many know it's dangerous to go shopping for groceries when you're hungry? How many know that you will not only buy too much food, but you will often buy the wrong kinds of food? That when I'm hungry, although I need Brussels sprouts, I crave Breyer's ice cream. There's, there's something about there's something about that that particular scenario, and so that's what we're going to call it this morning. And I want to begin with this very first line that says the boys grew up, and then I want to challenge that and ask a question: Did they? How old were these boys? You, you think when you read this, you know, I, I don't know how, what you all thought. I always thought they were teenagers about this time. Truth is, they were 60 years old. These guys are getting ready. <laughs> These guys are getting ready to draw from their 401ks <laughs> when they're 59, you know. These guys are 60 years old, acting like schoolboys, fighting over daddy's birthright. And the first thing that I want to share with you this morning, and if you don't get anything else, get this this morning, don't confuse growing up with becoming mature. Don't confuse growing up with becoming mature. You see, in life, and by the way, you can preach with me, you can say amen, if you disagree with me, you can say oh me, I don't care what you say, just say something, let me know you're alive, alright? So, so don't, don't confuse 
growing up with becoming mature. You see, we have this conveyor belt that we put people through in life, you know, and, and it's based on ages. You know, when you are when you are five years old, you get to go to kindergarten, you know, uh, all of those things. But then there's certain rites of passage that we make age determinations because we have assumptions about maturity levels. And so when you're 16, you can drive a car. Oh, me. Oh, me. I don't know what maturity levels were like when that law was made. But to think that we turn over the keys to these machines that can go over 100 miles an hour down a highway. What am I trying to say this morning? You can reach the right age limit without reading, reaching the right maturity level. And so, and so it is possible to turn 16. I remember Noah when you turned 16. Mom liked to kill us, didn't she? He got his license, and I think it was rush hour on Friday afternoon, right at the time he passed his license, and I gave him the keys. And somehow, by the grace of God, we made it home that day. It was a terrifying ride, but Noah's got us there safely, and he's, he's been doing good ever since. <clears throat> but you know... Road rage is a big thing now. People, people driving while they're angry. It's not good to drive while you're angry. And, and, and people drinking while driving. It's not mature to drink while you're driving. You really shouldn't be having a driver's license if that's the maturity level you're bringing to, to age 16. And then when you're 18, you're ready to vote because we assume that you have the maturity to make your decision based on the fact that you've looked at the facts thoroughly and you know that all the promises that they make, they can pay for those promises and you really believe in the candidates and you're judging that candidate uh, not by, uh, you're judging them by the content of their character, right? That's what we assume when someone turns 18 and goes to the polling booth, right? But now we're letting America vote. And I would say that the maturity level of America doesn't always match our age levels. Am I telling the truth this morning? So you turn 21, you're okay to drink. Are you? Do you have the maturity level to drink? Because, because if you don't, you're going to drink too much and you're going to drink so you can get to an altered state. And if you continue drinking until you get to an altered state over and over and over, you become what's called an alcoholic. And when you become an alcoholic, you no longer drink so you can get to an altered state, but you live now in an altered state and you drink so you can feel normal. True. And, 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 so, and so if you don't have the maturity level to go with the age level... Then, 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 then maybe you shouldn't be engaging in that behavior and we're just pushing people in America through life and we've got these certain little age levels that we get to that we assume that you, you've got the maturity level to do it. And so now here's these guys. They're ready to retire and they're acting like schoolboys. Did you know in a study of alcoholics it's discovered that that, that when an alcoholic becomes an alcoholic, 
their maturity level stops at the moment they become an alcoholic. So whatever their maturity level was like then, you might be 80 years old and have been an alcoholic all your life. If you started when you were 16, you were at the same maturity level that you were when you began drinking. Can I just give you some maturity advice this morning? Yes, 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 that's the answer, right. All right, this is Dr. Phil's, all right, this is Dr. Phil's uh, maturity advice this morning. One of the things that I would share with you this morning that, that you don't hear about so much anymore that I think is an important thing to say this morning, and, and I, I don't know how it's going to be received in, in 2015 uh, in this culture that we're living in, but if you're going to be mature, I think that you have to learn how to stand alone. One of the great maturing lessons is learning that you don't always have to go with the crowd. That just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it a good thing. Just because everybody's watching it doesn't make it a good thing. Just because everyone's drinking it doesn't make it a good thing. Just because everyone's going there doesn't make it the right thing. And I grew up, I'll just, I'll just uh, uh, be honest about this, that I grew up, that, that we probably went overboard on that. We, I grew up in a church where we were, we were almost like living in, against the culture. And, and so, uh, so as a result, there were a lot of people that grew up the way that I grew up that ended up rebelling from Christianity because there just wasn't a lot of common sense to it. So I'm not talking about going overboard. But I am saying this, one of the things that I'm grateful for from my upbringing was that they taught us that it's okay to be... And, and I had to take hard stands for the Lord even when I was a child. And you, how many know that the way that you build muscle is by resistance? It's by resistance. It's when you have to resist and it's when you have to say no when you want to say yes. But every time you say no, you're building muscle and you're resisting. And the Bible says if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. That there's got to be some resistance in your life. And there's going to be some times, I, I, I know you don't want to hear it this morning, but there's going to be some times that it might be uncomfortable to be a Christian. There's some times when it might make you feel a little bit left out. You might be, there, there were some times that my kids uh, came home uh, from school feeling a little bit left out because they didn't do what the other kids were doing. And, and, and those are hard times to go through. But can I just tell you, those are growing up times. Those are maturing times. We've got to learn, church. Does, does everyone know what I'm talking about this morning? Learning to stand alone. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the next thing that I would see, say is that, that we need to immerse ourselves in the wisdom of the Bible. Now, I know this sounds old school. But I just want to say flat out, I, I, I think I preach okay. But my preaching is not enough to live on. If all you're getting is Sunday morning at Life Church, you're missing out. Eddie, I appreciate just seeing a little on the on the little Bible app. I'll every once in a while I say, Eddie Dalton just finished his little Bible plan, da 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 da. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Eddie's eaten between meals. He's eaten between Sunday meals. It's important, isn't it? It's important that we just don't feed on Sunday mornings. We've got to feed during the week. There's got to be some sustenance that's coming to us 
during the week. And if I would talk to young people today, every young person in this house, one of the advices that was given to me that was invaluable that I did for a long, long time as a young person is that I took a proverb every day and read it. The wisdom of the Bible is radically current. If you read Proverbs, and Proverbs has 31 chapters, and there's 31 days in most months. And so whatever day of the month it is, corresponding, just take that particular proverb and read that proverb. Write your little journal piece. Talk about how it goes against what the culture is saying. See what it does to feed you and to grow you up. I'm telling you that if you're going to grow up, you, we are being inundated by the worldview every day. It's on the commercials that we see. It's on the television shows that we watch. It's on the movies that we watch. It's in the music that we listen to. There is another message that's being given all the time, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and Sunday morning is not enough. Can someone say amen this morning? We've got to be feeding on wisdom from God's Word. And then the next thing is surround yourself with people who are more spiritually mature than you are. That's why I call you Eula, not just because I like you. I need you. I need somebody who's been, been around the block more times than I have. And by the way, getting older doesn't make you an elder. An elder comes from the hard work of overcoming. It's not living the perfect life. It's somebody who's lived their life long enough and they've fed from God's Word long enough and that they've got a different view of the world and we need to hang around people who are ahead of us, spiritually ahead of us. Amen. Surround yourself with people who are more spiritually mature. This, that was free. That wasn't in your notes. That was just... That was just free stuff this morning. We're just giving out free stuff. All right, how to become a tutor. Going on in the passage. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the... And you know, I was reading about this stew. Apparently these were beans from Egypt. And I wonder, you know, I don't want to get too preachery on you, but Egypt is, is symbolic in the Bible of sin. But Egypt was known for its delicacies. And here are some Egyptian beans. Let me just tell you, we've got a lot of Egyptian beans that are being served to us today. These are Egyptian beans and, and this, this stew that, 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 that he's cooking. And he, and he says to Jacob, quick. Now, by the way, that's an important word. Quick, I'm being impulsive here. I'm not thinking about what I'm doing. Quick, give it to me. Just give it to me. Now, 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 now. Another sign of immaturity. And he says, let me have some of that some of that red stew, because I'm famished. Esau was grocery shopping while he was hungry. Esau was in a vulnerable state because he was hungry. I don't know why Esau didn't bring a snack pack along the way. I don't know why he didn't bring some Lunchables with him along the way. But let me just tell you something. If you're just relying on Sunday morning, you need some snack packs along the way. You need, some, you need some individual time with God. You need to get involved in a small group where once again, uh, sometime during the week, that you're going to be immersed once again in, in, in a world that's different from the world that we're 
seeing and that we're hearing. But the word that I want to focus on right here is that he says, I'm famished. The word in the Hebrew is ah yafe. It literally means exhausted. But, but, but because of the context, it also means very hungry. So he's very hungry and he's very tired. That, that, that's, that's so important to know. Because when you're susceptible, you need to be careful who you talk to. When you're in a vulnerable state, when you're exhausted, when you're starving, you better be careful because you know what? There's a Jacob who's got an agenda for your life. Somebody else has got an agenda. Can I just tell you this morning that God's not the only one that wants you. But there are gods of this world that if they could get a hold of you, they would get a hold of you and somebody else wants your life. And when you're famished, you're not in a good, good, good position. And so go to the next slide. Willpower becomes compromised when, become, when we become too hungry and too tired. Willpower becomes compromised when we become too hungry or too tired. There, there was a study by Columbia University. And, and they, they studied over a thousand cases of judges who were making parole decisions on people who, who had been in prison and they were up for parole and, uh, you know, hopefully had been on good behavior and they were up for their parole hearing. And, what, you, you know, you would think that the, the, the thing that would make the judge's decision for them would be how heinous the crime was and how well their behavior had been while they were in prison. However, what the study showed was the most determinate factor about whether that prisoner got a fair hearing was this. The time of day and how hungry the judge was. That early in the morning, just after breakfast, when you came in, you had a 65% chance of getting a fair hearing from that judge. And as the, as the day wore on, and as it got closer to lunch, and the judge gets grumpier and grumpier, you had less opportunity, and it went from 65 to close to zero by lunchtime. Now, interestingly enough, the judge then went to lunch and came back, and just after lunch, it popped back up to 65%. And waned again at the end of the day. We're in a vulnerable state when we be, and, and, and we can become compromised when we become hungry and tired. Now, now, I hope that you're spiritually astute enough to understand that this story is not just about beans and stew. Because, because there are passions and hungers that we carry around in our lives today that part of our baser desires that become compromised. That, that if we're not being satisfied with God's Word, if we're not being satisfied right in our relationships, we can become compromised. Come on, I'm speaking the truth this morning. We're in a compromising position when we're, when we're um, uh, not taking care of ourselves and we're not taking care of our relationships and if our, our relationship between a husband and wife are not good, we can become compromised. You say, no, Pastor, I think you've... I think you've gone to meddling. Now this is just a story. This is just a story about beans. But go to the next go to the next slide if you would. Look at what Hebrews says about Esau. It says, see that no one is sexually immoral. Listen to this. Or is godless like Esau. 
who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as oldest son. You see, when I read this story, I don't even want to share it because it sounds too ridiculous. A bowl of beans for your birthright. Who would do that? Who would be that silly? But what Hebrews understands, and if you have a, a spiritual eyes this morning, you'll understand that people make this trade every day. People will trade what is theirs in Christ for a bowl of beans. For, for, for an Egyptian stew that smells good to your nose, looks good to your eyes, it appeals to your baser senses. Can I say this morning, we are no different from the animal kingdom if we only live by our baser desires. We just eat when we want to eat and have sex when we want to have sex with who we want to have it with. And God made us for another world. And he made us to be different from that. And he made us, he made us, uh, the Bible says, a little lower than the angels. That God said, what is man, that, that, that David said, what is man, that you're mindful of him. If you don't believe that humans are created differently, we're the only animal that can say no when we feel like saying yes. The animals have to do everything according to their instincts. And let me tell you, there's bowls of beans around this, this, this world today that are telling you to live according to your instincts. But what this scripture is telling us this morning is we've got to sometimes say no when we feel like saying yes. Mm. And so he describes him as godless. And so I thought about that. And I thought about that. I thought if he was godless, if he's not worshiping as, 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 as uh, um, we heard this morning about Yahweh, if he's not worshiping the great I am, who is he worshiping? What is Esau's God? Go to the next passage in Philippians. It says, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, can I just tell you, I'm preaching this message through tears this morning. As I prepared this message, I did it so through tears. Because many live as the enemies of, cross, of the cross. Now listen to this. Their destiny is destruction. Now listen to this. Their God is their stomach. You know, I think if we built an idol today... If we built an American idol today, we'd have to make a, a golden stomach. I really believe that the God of America is our stomach. And I'm not talking about eating too much, and I'm not talking about all that. Surely I'm not talking about that this morning, because that would be talking about my own sins. No, we're going to talk about your sins. No, I'm just kidding. It's a metaphor, though, isn't it, for something bigger? It's a metaphor, this God of our stomachs, this, that, that, that means the, the God of our baser desires. The, the, God of, uh, the, the God of, you know what, I'm just going to do it because it feels good and I don't know what, care what it costs me right now because I'm going to eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow I'm going to die. And so, he's living by the God of his stomach. He's called Godless Esau. Godless Esau. You know, I thought, my goodness. Esau didn't seem like that bad a guy to me. And he just gets a little too hungry and a little too tired. And, he, and, yet, and yet the scripture calls him godless. Why is, it calling, why is it calling him godless? It's calling him godless because it's really godless to think that we always have to do what we feel like doing. 
And so this leads me to the next point, which is to appreciate the spiritual inheritance that you have been given. That, that last line haunts me. Esau despised his birthright. He didn't appreciate living at home. It makes me think of the story of the prodigal son. He didn't know what he had. He didn't know he had it so good. He, he didn't know. He didn't know that everything belonged to him. You know, he, Why didn't he punch his brother in the face and grab the soup? He could have, right? This is Bass Pro Duck Dynasty Esau. He despised his birthright. He, he didn't know. He didn't know what he had. And as I look around at Knoxville and I notice that even though we're in the Bible Belt and now about half of the people in Knoxville, maybe more, are not going anywhere to church anymore, it, it, it tells me something. And it tells me that, that we didn't appreciate what we had and we're heading the direction of the rest of the world. Oh, I know I sound like an old-fashioned preacher this morning, but I believe it with all of my heart that we need to appreciate the spiritual inheritance that we've been given. Oh, do you know what you have this morning? Oh, do you know how good God is for you? Oh, do you know that, do you know that, that, um, that, that, that at the end of this life, not only do we get a great life filled with the joy of the Lord in this life, but we get to be an eternity with God and the people that we love. Do we appreciate the inheritance that we've been given? Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to, to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God uh, saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give you us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. Do you love your inheritance? Do you love your birthright? Do you love what it is? And I'll tell you the burden that I'm preaching with this morning is I'm preaching this morning and I'm asking myself, do I love my birthright? Does this congregation love its birthright? If I could pass something over to you this morning, if I could put the word of God into you today, I would put it deep down inside of you that, that you would love the inheritance that you've been given. And this is the last thing. And I wonder if, if the musicians would come. And I want you to play um, closer, the last song you did. And the reason is, is there's a line in there. It says, your love is so much sweeter than anything I've tasted. You know what? Your birthright's got to be better than a bowl of beans. What you have in Christ has got to be better than all that this world is trying to offer you. 
There's got to be something deep inside of you that says, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And that's the last point I want to make this morning from this story is we've got to stop making decisions and start making choices. I know they sound the same, but I'm defining decisions. Is that every day we have to decide whether we're going to do something or not or whether we're going to go somewhere or not or whether we're going to partake in this particular thing or not. And then, and then it all, it's all, everything's negotiable. If the woman's pretty enough, if the guy's handsome enough, if the job offer's good enough to compromise my values, if the pay's enough, if those beans taste good enough, choice is a decision that says I'm not for sale it's not negotiable it's the choice that made Shadrach and Abednego say you know what we know that God can save us from this fiery furnace boy if there was ever a time to compromise that would have been a good time to compromise know that God's able to save us from this fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow down to your God because I know that there's more there's more than what meets the eye right here and you can burn me in your furnace, but you can't burn my spirit come on, I'm preaching to someone today the enemy would like to sift you like wheat he's got bowls of beans in front of your nose and in front of your face and he's inviting us to compromise every day oh don't don't think that I'm preaching at you this morning I've tasted plenty of beans that I shouldn't have tasted and I came here this morning saying I don't want to just get older I want to get more mature I've made some choices in my life. I've made some choices in my life. And those cho- choices say, you know what, I'm not for sale. It's not negotiable anymore. It's, it's what Joshua said. Go to the next slide if you were Joshua. The people were thinking, let's go back to Egypt, man. They got great beans in Egypt. They got beans there. Joshua made one of the greatest speeches that's ever been given. And he said, you know, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for you this day whom you will serve. You want to serve the stomach God? Whether the gods that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. You like their gods? You like their beans? You like their practices? You know, those Amorites, they can they can do pretty much whatever they want. You want that? Go for it. Joshua 
Joshua said, you know what else for me? For me and my house. You don't understand. You don't understand what they were singing about this great I am. You don't understand the difference between our God and that God. In fact, let the truth be known. He's the only true and living God. He's the only God that can make the eternal difference in your life. So go ahead, go ahead and do it. He said, you know what? You know what, y'all? And, and you know what? I want our church, everyone that knows me knows this, I want our church to explode and grow. I, I told somebody after the first service, I don't want to preach this sermon to all of Knoxville. But I would tell you this morning, that if it's five or ten or fifteen, do what the world's going to do. But as for me, and as for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're not for sale. We cherish our inheritance. And I don't want to get older without getting mature. I don't want to just go keep cycling through this conveyor belt of life. Five years old, 16 years old, 18 years old, 21 years old. Now you can retire. Jacob has to get quite a bit older before he wrestles with God. And he grows up. And he says, I am who I am. But you know what? For the rest of my life, I don't care if my brother kills me. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to wrestle with you. I'm going to wrestle with you all night long, God. And I'm not going away until you bless me. Because I've got to have you. 